Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. Toothpaste updates. Mm-hmm. Paste on brush like a normal person. And then I wrote, you wet the paste. And then they said, after putting it on the brush, absolutely. Little spritz of water and I'm going. Otherwise, the paste is too thick. Too thick, too talk, too chalky. A touch of water brings that toothpaste to, to life. My saliva, contrary to MJ's take, does not do the paste justice. So you're starting with the one person who agreed with you. <laughs> well, there's two. Hold on. I have another. Okay, let's hear it. Bring the heat up top, Mike, because, boy, people were on my side with this one. All right. I'm pulling up. Uh, I was beyond validated okay. um, by everyone who wrote in about our toothbrush wetting um, query. Query? Query. Query. Yeah. Do you wet the brush or do you wet the paste is yeah. what we talked about last uh, episode and we had uh you told well straight up you told me that i wet my toothbrush wrong was how you pitched the whole concept of toothbrush wetting and timing and all that kind of stuff and three of us agree yeah <laughs> i can't remember who it was but someone slid into the weed and grub dms and was like my mom is a dental hygienist hold on hold on let, let <laughs> okay, me get let me get my on. other person i'm so sorry uh, before ahead. you get into no, no. Info and data and yep, doctors right. and college. That's right. My college girl vibes. I water after toothpaste too. I feel you. And I wrote back, we're not in the popular crowd, but what we do makes sense. Yeah, it helps get the paste flattened out on the brush and mm. ready to foam up on my teeth. At least that's how my brain works. It makes the toothbrush more slippery for the paste if you water first. Wow. So many words on the topic, too. I feel like that's some impassioned. If you water the brush, the paste slides off. You, you got to activate the paste and flatten and dilute. If you water the paste dilute. afterwards, it just like sends it all slippery and sliding. What are you talking about? Although we did find out the producer Mark is is a both sides is a is a he sandwiches it with water. He's a water toothpaste and then water again. And I got a DM from someone who said neither total fucking renegade toothpaste lunatic was like I I don't do anything. I just put dry toothbrush toothpaste on a dry toothbrush and go for it. Have you ever seen those memes of the dog looking wide-eyed like it's seeing color for the first time? Yeah. <laughs> Hearing those words right? made me lose. I felt like a dog staring into the abyss. It just made me think of when I had a friend, Steve Brophy. I used to put his mohawk up when we were at, like in junior high and we used toothpaste to do it because it was like glue. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I can only imagine that putting that dry brush with that toothpaste on there would like seal your mouth shut. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. That's why you gotta, yeah, had you wetted the paste first, you would a, a mohawk would never go up. That's, yeah. I'm standing by it. That's dry. That's why you gotta wet that paste. Anyway, what does your dental oh, hygienist say? Oh or yeah, Don. Someone who knows in, things? In the Weed and Grub DMs, so we could both see it, was like, my mom was a dental hygienist and you wet the brush first. Uh, thank you very much. So I was completely vindicated. Everyone who wrote in on the poll like everyone was just on my side why do you never want me to win mike it's not that i don't want you to win it's because i always win it's just that you always win <laughs> <laughs> although no not true people are definitely on your side with the banana 
Yes. Deeply. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. They're yeah. into it. They're into your like silverback gorilla banana moves. Yeah, we're gonna drop that other reel soon, showing how to <laughs> properly cut it into cereal, and then Rip we'll see. <laughs> I know. Well, what up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Good. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everyone. This is a podcast about comedy, cannabis, cooking, culture, calling shit out, and uh, me being right almost all the time. <laughs> This is your first time tuning into Weed and Grub. This is what we do. Mike has a good time with things and then I correct him. <laughs> Even more so lately because I've been in school you have sharpening school. pencils like a total fucking throwback to my like, oh my God, talk about being in school and putting Steve Brophy's mohawk up. Like those were the days I used to get so excited about shopping for school supplies. Oh, big time. I was, I loved being in school. I sat in the front row. How is your fellowship in, um, Cannabis science journalism going. My, it is going great. I just turned in a big project that I was really excited to work on. Um, and I'll talk about it, I guess, when it's kind of like been graded and we've all had time to because everyone had to turn in a project. And then part of our grade is that we all look at each other's projects and comment on them and stuff. And there's this sort of open forum that's going to happen. And so after that, I think I'll be able to talk about what I learned both for my project and what other people brought into class. Awesome. I saw it and it's fantastic. Thank you. You crushed it in my eyes. I did have to. <laughs> thank you for looking at it because like I feel like, you know, when you like come home with your homework and like you got to show it to one of your parents. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm not saying that you have a parental role in my life at all, but I finished that homework assignment or that final presentation. I was like, I have to show it to someone. I don't have anyone in my life who I necessarily feel like I could just send it to and show it to. And then I was like, Michael, look at it. And you it, did. It was great. And it was really nice of you to um, do that for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Can I ask a favor of you now? Yes. Since I did that for you? Mm, we'll see. I want a recount on the toothpaste. Do you wet the paste or do you wet the brush? Oh. I need, I, I think that, I think my, my, we don't need my, a recount. my people are too busy living life to write in. And that's the problem. What the fuck are the you talking about? You had epistles that... <laughs> in your DMs. Also, it was a poll on the Instagram story and I just won by numbers, dude. What are you like some kind of weird insurrectionist about toothpaste counts? Like you can't I'm have storming some, like... the dentist's office, <laughs> no. shaking patients. How do you wet your brush? I won that one. You did win. <laughs> yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Yeah. Oof, you nailed, you crushed me. You um, polished me off. I did. I no, Nice. <laughs> um, we have an exciting episode this week because we have a guest for the first time in a while. We've got Tim Blake from the Emerald Cup joining us for a cool interview about uh, the Emerald Cup and its origins and history and the awards show and everything. So that's pretty neat. Stick around to hear from Tim. Yeah, huge guest. It was really awesome to have him on and uh, hopefully he will come back all the time because it seems like they're just doing mad cool shit up there. Growing and growing and growing. Well, before we get to that, uh, we have a couple of topics that we wanted to bring to the uh, to the table this week. That's right. I have a I have a couple of things. Do you want to? I ugh. what? I know that I have a short fuse, mm -hmm. and I know that it gets lit often. Okay. Often. 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 This feels like a doughboy situation, so I'm very wary to say often again. I've never heard anyone say often. Isn't there a T on the end of it? No. There's no T? Mm -mm. Often. Yeah. Uh, well, it's an, it is kind of doughboys, because like, we did have a great time debating the word uh, calm, calm, calm with uh, Mitch and Nick. So yes, don't want to step on their pronunciation fun, but I've never heard often. And you made me think of how I just, we were watching Top Chef and I was like, huh, Gail Simmons is fucking Canadian. And you were like, how do you know that? And I was like, rewind 10 seconds. And Gail Simmons pronounced a particular word that you and I have debated in a very Canadian way. 
And I was like, I can't believe I've never clocked that. But she's totally Canadian because she said, uh, Sean, the light shone on something. And I was like, oh, my God. And it drove me nuts because you immediately grabbed your phone. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Gail's Canadian. And then she's Canadian. And not only were you correct yeah. in all of it, but the way you tossed your phone at me oh, yeah. was so cavalier. And then I tapped the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Super fucking annoying. I know. I'm so sorry. But when I'm right, it feels so good. I get a rush. I need you to look at it. I need you to agree with me. I need you to maybe even post about how right I am. What are you looking at? Often? Often. Is that a colloquial? Is that like a, a, a St. Louisian pronunciation? Maybe it is because often. I've said that my whole life. Um, I don't even need to do more than Google because Google just said, do you mean often? <laughs> so there's not much <laughs> deeper to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, so she's two and I'm O. Uh, uh, sorry to derail. What were you saying that no, happens often? No, I'm, I'm glad to keep score because mm -hmm. it's easy for me because it's zero. You always claps and laughs too for anyone who hasn't tuned in for that. You count both claps and laughs. Your head just must be like that EMC squared meme with all of the like lines. And Except I botch it so much. It's most empty space. And every so often a one just kind of floats by. <laughs> and it's just that weird dog looking confused because he sees color over in the corner. Yeah, great. That's, that's the gist of my brain. Okay, great. <laughs> so I was driving through Beverly Hills the other day on nice. the way to a show. And um, I was surrounded by really nice cars. But the two cars that I think are universally unbeloved on the um, on the street are a certain type of Mercedes because they're all driven by what is easy to assume is old people. Okay. And any kind of BMW that is in like a white, gray, blue situation. Mm -hmm. Like those are the asshole cars, right? For sure. And so I was um, I was in I was at this light. And it was a right turn lane, but the right turn lane had a right turn arrow. So you were only allowed to turn right on the right turn arrow. Got you. Clear? Yes. Okay. Very. <laughs> but the Mercedes in front of me stopped their car a good two car gap away from the car in front of them, blocking mm. the right turn arrow lane. And so I'm honking and I'm honking and I'm trying to get them to move up even a half of a car so I can swerve in there because I got the green red or I got the green right arrow and they won't move up and they won't move up. And then finally it goes green for them. And then they drive and I rolled out my window and yell, F you. And drive away, and these old people look at me like, ah, I'm rich. You mean nothing to me. And uh, and so my proposal to you, mm -hmm. which is worse, being <laughs> behind a car in the left turn lane, green arrow, and they're looking at their phone and they miss the green and you're stuck, huh. or when you're in a right turn green arrow situation, which is a worse turn? Uh I, I think the left turn lane, if you're behind someone who's got the left turn arrow and they're not going, is endlessly infuriating and happens often. Often? Often. And the right turn arrow situation only happened to you because you were in Bel Air <laughs> or Beverly Hills or wherever the fuck you are. No one would ever do that anywhere else in LA. They would be like, fuck out of the way right now where I will like do something to you. You're so right. So that's not really... That was situational. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's a dilemma that I'm actually ever going to really have to worry about. Um, I do think it's interesting that you brought up the whole part about the Mercedes and BMWs because that's really not 
relevant to the topic at hand because it doesn't matter what they were driving, just that they were in your way. But it was also a way for you to be like, fuck anyone who drives a Mercedes and a BMW, I guess. Yeah, it was my way of painting a, a picture about the types of cars I don't like being around on the road. How do you feel about Bentleys? Love them, want one, could would do anything to have one. How do you feel like it's not the same people driving the Bentleys that are driving the Mercedes and the BMWs, though? Because a Bentley is so fun to drive, people actually drive them people drive them okay people who have mercedes and bmw they have a little bit of money but not a ton of money you know a little bit of flash but not a ton of of money yeah but it's not as flashy as a bentley like that is like an s tier versus a d tier okay and so i and so people who have bentley's drive their bentley's i will say that i was just hanging out with our friend natalie and she told me that she saw serena williams in bentley at a light and was like, what? Hello. Heck yes. Yeah. It was a convertible too. Heck yes. Sorry, Natalie, if I wasn't supposed to say that, but you know, we're not saying when or where or where she lives or anything. Who, Serena? Yeah. I don't know. Do you know where she lives? <laughs> LA, I think. Oh, okay. But beyond that, oh, she was wearing, she was, uh, yeah, she was driving a Bentley. Oh man. So left turn lane is worse than right. I think left turn lane happens and right turn lane just happened to you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, how, what's your approach on a left turn? Do you, I hold, I'm at the point in my life now where I hold the honk. You hold the honk. What do you mean you're at a point in your life where you hold the honk? I used to be the kind of person behind someone in, if, if it's a left arrow, mm-hmm. I'll give them like a two and a half count, especially if cars are running the red, you know, handling their business yes, before they go. I'll give sure. them a two and a half count. And I used to just give like a, eh, eh, or maybe like a, eh. I am a honk holder now. Good. I have no problem with just letting it cut through the air endlessly to get them to move their goddamn car. Oh, no. Fuck. I totally, totally, totally misinterpreted what you said. When you said I'm a honk holder, I thought you meant that you would literally prevent yourself from honking. Like you would hold off from honking. You were saying that you lean on your horn. Bro, I might have to stop doing this podcast with you. That is not okay. It that is, is so aggressive and weird and you need to do something about that not cool it works fuck off i don't care if it works i hate that i oh my god i was going to the west hollywood library yesterday and i was pulling into the parking lot of the library on a sunday the library parking lot on a Sunday at this particular library opens exactly at one o'clock. They do not let any person in at 12.59. The security guard was standing there and she was just like, Mm-mm, I'm going to turn this ticket arm thing on at one o'clock. So we were all lined up. The first person at one o'clock goes in and I had just like glanced down for a second. I wasn't even on my phone. I had just like looked down to like adjust. I think I was like flipping the radio or something. I was like two seconds from just pulling. The person behind me honked. I was like, to get into the library parking lot at one o'clock on a Sunday when I'm three feet, like you're, I, the rage and my, I was like, the fuck is wrong with you? That is also how I feel about someone who would lean on the horn for any reason. Wow. Hate it. Wow. Super against it. <laughs> Mark says it was me behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Mike would never be at the library on a Sunday. No. You were probably playing basketball or something fucking outside and cool. Yeah. My shirt was off. I was wearing shades. Your shirt was off playing basketball? Yeah. I was wearing sunglasses. Then we got some snow cones afterwards. Sweet. You know, I caught a, I caught a, caught a kickflip or two. 
with playing basketball? No, just afterwards. I was, <laughs> Are you talking about skateboard? Yeah. You're mixing your sports. <laughs> just trying You're to playing basketball on a skateboard. I'm trying to paint a Sunday that I wish I could do. Okay. <laughs> um, the you make me think of. Don't hold a honk, motherfucker. Yeah, you have to hold a honk. Do not hold honks. N- any anybody because you will, then you teach a lesson. Is going to it's like a spanking you? as a child. You no. only do it once, oh and God. then you will I learn that sick. lesson. I feel sick over this. I truly, it's like the restaurant thing. I feel right now the same level of anxiety and and like physical illness, like the homeostasis in my body is not happening. I don't feel like I am a balanced, in balance right now because you ha- make me feel sick because of the idea that you were leaning on your horn. I have the same reaction to that as to you being like in a restaurant after one minute after it closes. I understand. Not cool. I will not do it while you and you are in the car. Okay. But I will be doing it other times <laughs> well you need a new podcast co-host then because i quit <laughs> you throw the mic I, truly that's yeah. nuts man well i do think especially in your situation if like my right turn situation was situational and your library and a sunday thing is situational old people need to learn everyone needs to learn not just yeah, yeah, old yeah. i don't want to ageist it everyone needs to learn that you don't stop at a red where it's convenient for you to start getting on your phone. You stop yeah, that's with not a reasonable old people on their yeah, fucking phones. Exactly. That's, that's young why people. I corrected yeah. it. Yeah. It's because it's like it's like you stop and then you look at your phone. You don't stop, look at your phone, and then realize you have two cars to go. It, that's an unwritten rule. Another unwritten rule: Sunday driving has different rules than Monday through Saturday. A Sunday drive means you're gonna get into the freaking library at 102. It's a Sunday. Historically, it's an that is unwritten true. Unwritten holiday for all to just take a breath and relax. Yes. Like no honking on a Sunday. No honking for me to get into the library faster. You absolute fucking Mercedes driving lunatic. Yeah. I didn't look at their car, but let's say it was a Mercedes too. Probably they had Mercedes energy. <laughs> <laughs> I drive a Ford Fusion. I like that commercial of Mercedes Energy. Do you stop really far away from the car in front of you? Are you impatient with the rest of the world? Do you seem like you're entitled to everything all the time, regardless of other people's needs and empathy? Mercedes. Mercedes. <laughs> it, so when I uh, lived in Germany for a few months, there was a definite like Mercedes versus BMW contingent. And wait, where are Mercedes? Are they both German? They're both know. German, right? Yeah, producer Mark says yes. So on the street that I was living on, uh, there was it was kind of like half and half. And it was really funny to sort of see like, I felt like they were, it was truly like factions. Like, you know, it was like you hung out with the people who had the same car. And they, every Sunday, would come out and everyone would rake their gravel driveway and then they would wash their car in their driveway. And it was this whole very weird like German kind of ritual of i don't even know it was it was it was a strange experience also speaking of um top chef and uh and the season that we're watching right now that uh german contestant tom yeah is (laughs) the most he's like the absolute epitome of everything german he's so talented he's such an amazing chef his food is wild he grew up on a farm his palate is clearly insane but all of his mannerisms like when he gets frustrated he did this thing that was making me laugh so hard when we were watching we were really stoned so we laughed about it for a really long time where he just like he was stressed out and then he just like moved his finger from his temple down the side of his face really slowly because like hmm. but that was like all of his expression of his like his angst was just like 
bottled up into this one tiny gesture. It was, was powerful. Like, that, that guy's going to pop off, man. Yeah, we ran that thing back yeah. to see it a couple times. <laughs> because I'm stressing, man. Oh, man. Yeah, because you could see him swallowing it. Oh, it's stressed out German is like they just look just like a regular German except like one <laughs> tiny hand gesture. <laughs> <laughs> and my aunt, my aunt is German. I have German friends. There are plenty of Germans I love, but like I think stereotypically, it's pretty funny to see a German under pressure, like just pop one bead of sweat and do one tiny thing, and you're like, oh my god, yeah, I'm very upset. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good season of Top Chef. If you're not uh, watching it, check it out. It's on Peacock. Again, I haven't gotten any DMs yet, but if anyone needs a password, I'll send somebody my password. You can watch uh, the new season of Top Chef on Peacock. Hit me up. It's all stars. It's all winners and contestants from previous seasons, most of whom were like either winners or like placed, and it's exciting. We're down to like, uh, I think there's seven left now. So catch up and watch with us. I know we're doing um, this a little out of order um, because we have news and buds of the week to get to. Oh, that's right. I do want to add, and a letter also. um, Oh, yeah. But if if I can just do a quick creamed corner. Oh, yes. um, It's because of Tom and his love of vegetables and how perfect he executes leeks Mm -hmm. and things. So I was just on TikTok and I saw this Thomas Keller recipe I'd like to actually try for both of us with um, zucchini where you take a zucchini and you salt, you cut it in half and you salt it Mm -hmm. and then you leave it on a paper towel to drain for like a half hour. Um, And the paper towel just gets soaked from all of that. And then you turn it over and you score it you know, crisscross. Uh-huh. Have you seen this recipe? I I think so. Carry on. Yeah. And so then you like score it so that it looks like little squares all over the inside of the zucchini. Uh, a little bit of olive oil, put it down in a pan, char it, flip it, char it, and then throw it in the oven like 325 for 20 to 25 minutes. And then you, um, while that's in there, you mince up some shallot, a little bit of vinegar, um, a little bit of peeled tomato, olive oil, and salt, mm. and just make like a quick very 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 easy not even a salsa like a gastrique kind like, of yeah kind of like and um and then when the um zucchinis come out after all that time they're like really custardy and charry mm. and they have this like pudding texture to them and then you put that vinegary tomato shallot olive oil salt over the top of it and it's supposed to be one of the best vegetable simple recipes ever and it's thomas keller you know the man has the michelin stars to do it french laundry right french laundry uh, so um and anyway that was a tiktok i just saw so if we're gonna have a creamed corner i wanted it to be a vegetable creamed corner listen tiktok uh, here's my deal with tiktok and food because i feel like we, so we should just i mean obviously if it's a thomas keller recipe it's going to be incredible um there are so many recipes that i am seeing on tiktok that look truly fucking delicious I doubt if they are, though. You know what I mean? So many of them like, are overdone. They just, it's about the looks, right? Yeah. Like, I just saw one for a caramelized cabbage and walnut pasta, and it looked beautiful. And then I thought about it for a second and, like, what all of those components were. And I was like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know about that. I will try it, though. I feel mm. like you got to try it. I'm not going to just decide based on, you know, yes. anything. I would like to find more accounts then that are like, I'm going to try this so you don't have to and let you know. Yes. Because I think the difference between show food and good food is vastly freaking different. Like right now, I got a steak sandwich the other day and it was impossible to eat. It looked great. It was all sloppy. I was going to take a video of it, but steak sandwiches suck. You can't bite through the steak. They All the steak slides out every time because it's not like the type of cut of meat that like... um 
supports sandwich as a delivery system. Yes, totally. A steak sandwich is absolute nonsense, but it looked incredible. You just made me think of one of the new, uh, my favorite new accounts that I follow. I'm sure he's on TikTok as well. I follow him on Instagram because, you know, that's where I be, a mind of music. I've shown you that guy, right? Yes. His name is Benito Thompson. He's a medical physicist and musician, and he is making recipes and then noodling on his piano and thinking about it and then bursting into song with his like rating for what the um, recipe is. And it's so fucking funny. Like his editing, his music, the whole thing is just like highly enjoyable. So follow him at Mind of Music. I just thought of that. And he's like, I'm obsessed. That's he's awesome. so funny. Cool. Yeah. Um, I Do you want to get to that letter? Also, um, yeah. because I had lost the toothpaste thing, I forgot. If you're oh, not yeah. watching YouTube, go to our YouTube. <laughs> we have a YouTube and it's great. <laughs> I didn't really want to show the first slide because I lost. So we'll move on from that. Yeah, Petty and Cash then Studios. And this one, you told me it was situational. So I don't really feel like doing that slide either. That's right. Um, what's the next what one? What do we have next? Oh, the next one oh, is the, our news story. Yeah, so let's do uh, this quick just YouTube comment that we got from a friend I wanted to shout out. Uh, Kate KK. Let's hope you're not a clans member, Kate. Kate KK. Is the case, is there a space between them? Yes. It's first name Kate and then last name KK. So I think it's just Kate. I'm going to go with, can we just please go with Kate? Yeah, let's just say Kate. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We got a comment from Kate. Oh, fantastic. Kate, thank you for commenting on our YouTube video. Kate says, hey, from Ireland. Freaking awesome. I go water, toothpaste, water, best way to go. Mike's not insane. Also the banana thing. Yes, I always used to do that with my cereal. <laughs> Currently having an after work smoke and listening to this app, a good way to spend the evening. Thanks for the laughs. Man, that's so cool tuning in from Ireland. I love hearing from people tuning in from like anywhere. Just like let us know where you are, what you're doing, what you're smoking and who you agree with most importantly. Oh my God. Well, in this case, Kate really brought us together. Yeah. Because Kate's like, you're both right. Yep. Smoke a joint and fucking relax. A real diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the crack about your name, Kate. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I, maybe man. the sandwich is the way to go. I'll try it. I'm, I'll try the wet sandwich. Okay. Because it seems like, obviously, I've been doing this my whole life. Um, you've been doing yours your whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe it's time for a change. The, the wet sandwich toothpaste situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's time for a change. Okay. I'll see. Just try it. Just a little bit of water. We're going to be, it's going to be September. And I'm just going to be like, okay, so I need one more recount. Also, I've been using distilled water. Oh, my God. And I do think that it actually. Like, we stopped listening to that fucking podcast because they would not stop talking about their goddamn toothpaste ritual, <laughs> regimen, routine, whatever it is. Uh, should we get to the news? Let's get to the news. Okay. Coming to us from Australia, uh, reported in the uh, Adelaide Advertiser. We've got a picture of her up here. This is a granny. Uh, Her name is Pam Bickerton. And uh, the news is that she supplied can of butter uh, accidentally to her teen great-grandson, who then used it to bake cupcakes, and he shared them at school. (laughs) (laughs) And she uh, escaped jail time for it, which is the good news. So that's why we're sharing it, because it's actually kind of a fun story. She did receive a suspended sentence, and she is on a... uh, two-year good behavior bond. Um, so Bickerton made the cannabis-infused butter to control her sleeping disorder, <laughs> and it was working great. Um, and she says she was halfway asleep when her unnamed teen grandson asked if he could use some of the can of, can of butter. Um, her lawyer said that she was still in a state of tiredness, and she said, go for it. Just make sure you clean up afterwards. When police responded to the incident and arrived at Bickerton home, Bickerton's home in the weeks afterwards, she admitted she still had three bags of can of butter in her freeze and two bongs, which were immediately seized, which is a bummer. We'll have to start a GoFundMe for her to get her some new glass pieces. Um, 
anyway, all was fine. But her her grandson was selling the cup la- cup cup laced cakes, laced cupcakes, laced, not laced. Do- I don't like dosed either. Dose- Just infused. Infused. Yeah, laced yeah. is so weird. That's like such a fucking dare era saying. Like it fucking is. laced. It's gonna fuck you up with like you know something bad. No, it was just like uh, cupcakes that probably made some people feel like they didn't want to be in math class anymore. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> um, he was he was selling them at school. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, they should both be given keys to the city, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, supposedly some of his uh, fellow schoolmates presented at the sick bay, displaying symptoms consistent with cannabis consumption. I guess maybe they didn't know that they were infused cupcakes and. Um, Anyway, they got him in trouble and then he got his great grandmother in trouble, but luckily she didn't get in big, big trouble. So all's well that ends well. And Pam Bickerton is honestly, look at her. I mean, you know, Brownie Mary famously, she's the um, sort of kindly grandmotherly type who made cannabis brownies for uh, AIDS patients in San Francisco and is a big part of like the medical marijuana movement and why we have legal weed in this country today. So like shout out grandmas who are using uh, cannabis to treat their own ailments and, um, you know, it's a natural remedy for all sorts of stuff. I want to know what her recipe is. I love an old world recipe like a tomato sauce. Oh, or yeah. Or in this case, a can of butter. Especially it's Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, yo, I want to know what Pam Bickerton's can of butter recipe is because I bet it is awesome, especially if she's making it by the bag full to help her sleep. Yo, you think it's as strong as John Flynn's uh, cookies? Man, those were in my freezer and <laughs> oh. I had one the other night and it still kicked my dick off. Oh my God. It was awesome. Go listen to our ep- uh, with John and also check out his book if you haven't read it. He's like stories of selling uh, weed cookies to like all kinds of celebs and comedians in New York and just like getting everyone <laughs> high as hell. Yeah. When you thinking the idea of having can of butter to help you sleep, I really like too because I do love a midnight snack. I love going to bed on a full stomach and eating something before bed because I don't like waking up hungry. I like waking up satisfied. So like the idea of like can of butter at night to help me sleep makes me really question what I would want to eat before bed that would involve can of butter and have like a really nice sleep. Well, interestingly too, physiologically, the like higher fat edibles. Do you remember when we were talking to Kate and Katie who were in Portland, they were uh, peak extracts and they were telling us how like they'd gone out for a big dinner and they'd eaten a bunch of like really rich food. And then they woke up in the middle of the night higher than they had anticipated they were going to be. And they, they were like, oh my God, we didn't actually understand that like the super high fat food would actually get you higher. Right. And that was the first time that I had ever heard about this. And then we were just looking at um, a chart in the in the cannabis program that I'm in and how like, you know, all of the different things fall off. Like, you know, if you smoke, then, you know, the, the sort of like curve goes like this, but with fat and edibles, the curve literally goes like this, like you will get higher throughout the night. And so I guess if cannabis works for you to keep you asleep, like that will actually, you know, medicate you for a better night's sleep because as you sleep, you will continue to be, um, you know, dosed. I love that. I love that too, because I remember both my grandma's I think I think naturally with age, the older you get, the less likely you are to be able to sleep through the night and you wake up earlier totally. and stuff. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything changes. So really cool. Oh, Mark's suggestion. And I agree with it. Midnight snack, popcorn with can of butter. Nice. Fantastic idea. Love it. Fantastic idea. For in your case, a Trader Joe's ice cream sandwich. Oh, my God. Maybe. Maybe. I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's become a nightly routine and I don't know how good that's going to be for me in the long run. So. I might have to switch over to the weed popcorn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Yeah. I would also argue that an ice cream sandwich at night is a nice treat if the whole day 
you've been doing other things than eating hamburgers from herbs or french fries and things yeah, like I that. I have been subsisting on like coffee and salads to go. So Right. Yeah, a little ice cream around. sandwich at night. It's yes, a nice that's little so bad. Thanks, Mike. bedtime thing. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. You know. I, and uh, oh, and the last thing I wanted to say about um, Pam and her son is... Um, grandson, I think. Grandson is um, those little narc ass kids in Australia going to the nurse. <laughs> hey, chill out. Chill out, man. I, maybe it's a strong cupcake, probably a strong cupcake, but also you don't go to the nurse and then tattle. You need to learn a lesson in I don't know, man. vibes. I do. Listen, I'll never forget when I ate a hundred milligram edible by accident, not by accident. I ate it on purpose, but I didn't understand what it was going to do. I was at work. I was at a cannabis cup and I remember the whole world sort of getting really far away. And it felt like I was looking through the wrong end of binoculars. I'm a low dose, like hundred milligrams for me is a lot. I ended up sitting on a chair at the customer service. I was working customer service, so I had to talk to people. <laughs> and I sat and I just held onto the chair because it truly felt like I was going to fall off this chair. And I had to answer questions. <laughs> like I had to direct people like where to go and how do I get a refund on my ticket? And, you know, where's the T-shirt booth and stuff? It was so hard. And luckily, I knew what was going on. So I was fine. But I cannot imagine feeling like that, not knowing what was going on. Yeah, I guess the so, big question is, did the grandson let them all know that they were infused or not? I think not, maybe. Okay, in that case, hey, homie. Yeah. That's not okay. Don't don't be doing that. Don't be doing but that. But if you knew you were eating an infused cupcake, yeah, don't don't narc on the dude who sold it to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. so I'm with you on that. Okay. Uh, shout out to Pam. She's free. Yeah, Pam. Look at that picture. She's adorable. I'd smoke with her. I know. I love her, like her whole vibe. She's got like, you know, like her cane. She's wacky with it. She's got like, you know, whole comfy, comfy. Uh, co Do you think her, um, the collar on her sweater turns into like a neck rest? Absolutely. Looks like it inflates. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's great. Does. Shout out Pam. Dang. If, uh, if ever, if anyone has a connection to Pam, I want to send her a glass piece. What else? Uh, what oh, else we're we at have? Buds of the Week before, oh, we're we, of the week. before our interview with Tim Blake. Oh my Unless God. Unless you okay. want to keep cooking. No, we got to go. We got to get, get to Tim. I know. It's a really good interview. Yeah. Um, um So we can do, uh, do you want to go first or second? I'd like to go first, actually. Okay. Um, my Bud of the Week is a new friend named Sammy Weiser, W-E-I-S-E-R. Um, I have a show at the Comedy Store uh, next Wednesday, actually, 517, Glazer's After Party. And the producer who puts all the stores, all, all the shows on in the belly room hit me and was like, yo, my friend Sammy smokes a ton of weed, also has a show at the store. I think you two would really hit it off. Um, just come hang, come smoke, and let's all chill. And so we sat in the um, that little alcove. We sat in that little alcove at the uh, comedy store in the back and she brought out 20 joints mm -hmm. and she said it was her like stash that she always keeps in her purse because she smokes hella and I had just seen her perform and she crushed in the belly room and then we all kicked it all night. People are coming and going. Comics are coming and going from the back. We're smoking with everybody and it was just a really fun time and she has a, and she has a great show at the store too. So thank you to Brittany for helping me make a new friend in Sammy and my bud of the week this week smokes a ton of bud, Sammy Weiser. Awesome. Yeah. Um, my bud of the week is friend of the pod, Michelle Davis, who has been on here with Bad Manners. Uh, she's also started up her own Insta account, which is so great. It's M Davis Foods. And she just shared a video this week of how to make loquat jam. So loquat is this um, really cool little sort of like an apricot, basically. Um, I think it's like a, a cousin of the apricot. And they're just growing wild all over Los Angeles right now. And there are a couple of my 
my neighborhood and I'm so excited to go and harvest some loquats and make this jam. It's super, super easy. And she's also got just a ton of sustainable harvesting practices for like local fruits. And she's always making amazing plant-based foods on her um, Insta. So follow her at M Davis Foods on IG. And I don't know, I'm just do check out everything she does. Michelle's amazing. Yeah. She's my butt of the week. Great butt of the week. Yeah. Dang, we uh, we got some good buds. And we have a VIB, very our important very important bud. bud. Tim Blake is the founder of the Emerald Cup. He is a legend in the California cannabis scene. He's an activist. He's a cannabis evangelist. He's a great interview and a great hang. And um, yeah, we got to chat with him about the award show that's coming up this Saturday. May 13th, and you can follow him uh, at the Emerald Cup on Instagram, and he shouts out where you can also catch more about the Emerald Cup at the end of the interview. This is an awesome app. Yeah. Without further ado. Oh, wait, before we do that, uh, <laughs> follow us on Instagram at Weed and Grub. Follow our YouTube at Weed and Grub. Watch this episode because our interview with Tim is fantastic. On TikTok, at Mike and Mary Jane. Leave a review on Apple iTunes. Leave a little five-star click on Spotify. Follow Mary Jane at It's the Mail for me. Follow me at Glazer Boo Hoo Hoo. I got a bunch of tour dates coming up, especially if you're in Denver. I'm in Denver this week. Oh, my God. Weekend doing shows. Sorry, had to get it out there. Yeah. You know, it's the job, and we're all trying to make a living out here. All right. All right. Without further ado, now, here is our interview with... Tim Blake. We are being joined by Tim Blake, founder of the preeminent cannabis competition in the entire world known as the Academy Awards of Cannabis, the Emerald Cup. How's it going, Tim? Wonderful. We're a few days out from the uh, Emerald Cup Awards ceremony, and it's the judging's all done, so we're just coming to the home stretch. It's really great to be here. That is so exciting. I guess I, I would love to start with that because Mike and I have some friends who have been judging and, you know, we've been uh, watching their social media feeds with uh, envy and admiration. And can you just tell us a little bit about like what that looks like? How do you get to be a judge and then what the competition actually involves with judging? We started out with one flowers contest 19 years ago, just a personal contest with seven judges. We have almost 100 judges now, 48 contests. It's a giant project to corral. We have to take all that product. It used to be you just brought the product to Area 101. You delivered an ounce or two. Now you got to go through your distros. You got to bring it in. It's got to be delivered. It's, you know, it's all going to be, you know, tested. Then you got to get it out to the judge. It's it's a quite an ordeal. Nikki Shea, who runs our competition, uh, does an amazing job. My daughter Taylor uh, manages that, and it's just they do. I'm still with it, but I mean, I look at what I did, and it's just incredible. We do a judges application every year for all judges, and we had almost 400 applications this year. Um, our judges teams, like, well, we started off with eight flowers judges, and we really like to keep them under 10, but none of the judges ever want to leave, and then we want to add new judges, and so all these contests have gotten bigger and bigger. The flowers contest was 21 judges this year. Wow. And we realized we've actually, we're lucky because three didn't show up for the finals meeting, and it was still quite chaotic and in a, with that large of a table with 18 people that are pretty alpha dominant all going at it and debating and stuff it was just uh <laughs> it was quite a raucous uh, moment and it's great but I, I wish we recorded it what are the categories that you're judging in flower are you just doing indoor outdoor light depth like how are you breaking it down for people no we've got uh sun grown mixed light uh and then we've got uh indoor and then we've got third party certified we got a personal grow you know, so we're doing, we got the personal back in there because it was a personal contest to begin with. And now it's become very serious. But we wanted those people at the home, you know, personal growers wanted to be able to get back in. So we got them back in. And the third party certified is because we can't call things organic, but we want to tout the people that are really doing best practices. So it's the third party. 
and then we've got the indoor sun grown and, and mixed light. And then we do a best to show from the winners uh, and which is another contest. So that was quite a, uh, quite a rousing affair this year that took place over that, that contest. Can I go back to that first one 19 years ago? Are you, I'm imagining you sitting around a table passing joints and debating with your friends, you know, is this flower, that flower? And then you were like, I think we were serious about this. I bet other people are serious about that. What did it look like? It was a friendly competition. You know, I grew up going to uh, county country fairs in the fall with my kids and stuff. I love going and seeing those fairs. And I thought we should be able to do that too. Uh, we disguised it as a birthday party for my friends uh, Desmond and Lisa. We didn't put any posters out. Uh, most people thought we'd still get busted. Most of the people showed up in mass. Uh, the first and uh, first, second, third didn't even show up to get their awards. Uh, and uh, but it was a great, wonderful moment because we all got to get together with a couple dozen entries and sit around and and just get high. And it was very relaxed. And uh, we had no idea that it would turn into this and this uh, much of a serious nature to it because it means so much to the brands now. Uh, but you know, an 86 year old man won. my friend came in, didn't show up for the award purple Kush. And my friend who drove all the fuel trucks comes by the next day and he goes, you know, what won that purple Kush, huh? And he said, yeah, my dad won that. And I said, your dad, you know, 86 year old guy, regular farmer, never grown pot before, just did it for the heck of it. And he beat everybody. And, uh, the wonderful part about it was he said, you know, you might as well keep the award cause I'm old. I'm gonna be dead soon. So why don't you guys keep it? So we still have. The first award. Oh, wow. you're, you're going to go get it. Oh, look at that. Right here. Amazing. It's the first Emerald Cup first place award. And my friends did it and they, they said, oh, it's going to be a ceramic piece. And then we got close to the day and I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to be looking at a coffee mug or something, you know? Nothing personal against coffee mugs, but I, I, you know, I thought, oh, but if you could see this, the close up, it's like the work on this and what she did, it, it's really, it's a beautiful piece of art. I mean, it's not just a coffee mug. It's beautiful. And so we still have the first place. That's a trophy that you would want to hold aloft. <laughs> I know that um, yeah, we take it. the the first time that uh, you and I met in person, Tim, I had come up to the Emerald Cup. I was working on a story and we sat down and chatted. And part of what we were talking about was the Small Farms Initiative, which was something I think that you had launched for the first time that year, if I'm not mistaken, and is an ongoing program. Can you tell us a little bit about the Small Farms Initiative and why it's so important to specifically to the Emerald Cup and the growers up there. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, that was a really wonderful uh, moment. Uh, we were looking at it, you know, everybody knows the devastation that small farmers are going through. We're losing 90% of our people. I mean, I'm up here in the Emerald Triangle. You know, we had 10,000 farmers. We got, you know, less than a thousand. And so we realized that these small farmers needed help and they needed, uh, you know, some support. And they, some of them couldn't even afford to come to the Emerald Cup and get a booth. So we thought, why don't we work a deal out to give some of these people free booths and get somebody to help sponsor it and, and we'll figure out how to make it work. And my team was like, well, you're already losing every year, money on the cup every year. It's like, why not lose some more? What are you thinking? You're crazy. But but they loved it too. And we devised a program. We got together with Jeannie uh, Coleman, uh, the Orson's Council, and uh, you know uh, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Katz and just a number of other people and put together this program that really ballooned uh, we let the farmers decide whether they wanted to split their booths and they all decided to split their booths. So I think we had almost 50 farmers there that first year because they're all splitting their booths and having them up. And it was just a wonderful thing to see. It was a, uh, a great moment for people to come together and be able to tell the stories and get these small farmers in front of people. It became a big PR moment. We did a lot of media on it and it was really a, a tremendous benefit for everybody involved. And so this year uh, or last year, we followed that up again 
and uh, it was equally well received. Uh, we added the social uh, the social equity boost onto it so we could bring them in too, so they could be part of it. And then we also put together a uh, a Friday before a kind of bulk uh, flowers buyers moment for all these farmers that need to sell some bulk and brought all the buyers in. And Mercy Wellness gave us their space for free, gave us their new lounge, helped us out. I mean, not just because they're they are our friends, but they're just so amazing what they did for us. They did the whole thing for free. And uh, so we had uh, about 50 people come in for that too. And it was really, really amazing. And so from that, Danny Diamond from Hall of Flowers, give him a shout out. He saw that and incorporated that program into Hall of Flowers. And I love Danny for that. And uh, we've had other people reach out to us and say they're doing the same thing. So it really started something. I think that, uh, you know, it was it was really amazing to see and to talk to some of those small farmers when I was up there, especially because they at that time were so distressed and I think have been becoming increasingly distressed under, you know, the the California regulations and, and the sort of collapse of the market. Can can you talk a little bit more about how, how you're seeing the market affecting these the farmers just in general up there? Like, do you do you have hope and optimism? Or are you are you still feeling like it's everything is really a, a tough time for, for growers up in the Emerald Triangle? I'm 68, you know, I was in the business for, in, still in the business, 54 years. I've seen every decade, every generation. I evangelized, uh, I brought the first sheriff's debates to Mendocino in the, in the country actually with Tom Allman. Uh, we did the DA's debates. Uh, I evangelized for legalization way before we had Colorado and Washington come in. Uh, I've got uh, people who have done long-term prison sentences all around me as friends and family. I've, I've watched mainstream people not feel comfortable using cannabis. So I evangelized for legalization. I evangelized for 64. Gavin Newsom, I told the story, he shook my hand and swore he'd never let large-scale farming in for five years as it was spelled out in Prop 64. Two months in, they opened that large-scale farming up and Selena's property went from 20,000 an acre to 80,000 an acre overnight. And we started to collapse. That was two months into legalization after we evangelized and went and supported Gavin and got that job done. And uh, then they added 150 pound tax onto every pound and they just proceeded to tax and regulate us to death and uh, they knew what they were going to do. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I've been an outlaw my whole life. And I say that proudly because I'm not a criminal. I'm an outlaw. I'm just outside the law, which didn't recognize, like with cannabis, they, they, society was wrong. And we were on the right there. But uh, they did more in five years of legalization to destroy our culture and way of life than they did in 50 years of chasing us as outlaws. They didn't touch us. But when they knew they were going to lose, they backed up. And they thought, uh, you know, 280E with, you know, no tax deductions on a federal level. They came at us with so much stuff that nobody could make it. There's not a, well, barely a brand in California making any money. 95% of them are all losing money and they're holding on for brand value. I'm talking, you can take any of them. Weed Maps has lost 90% of their value. On, on an average, most of them have lost between 60 and 90% of their value. And they're all hanging on. Not just uh, farmers, but brands. And uh, you can't succeed in the california market the way it is why do you think oracle left oracle left and all these businesses are leaving joe rogan they're leaving because this is not a friendly climate for business it's extremely restrictive and uh not just with cannabis across the board so uh we're in a catastrophic event where we're going we're never going to be the same spyrock mountain i don't know if anybody knows that but spyrock is the most infamous part of mendocino county you've got the emerald triangle humboldt mendo and trinity uh, you know, Humboldt is, you know, maybe the heart of the triangle, but we're on the, we're the, the uh, so southern part. And in Mendocino, there's a road called Spyrock Road, and it's basically the infamous mountains of uh, you know, Spyrock area, the legendary growing area. When the military landed, they landed on the Spyrock School to go after Mendo. There were 250 farms back there. 
at one point. There's less than 25 growing and living back there now. 90% of the people are gone. They're not even there anymore. I mean, this community, there's, it's, it's, a, it's gone. The Garberville, uh, which is the kind of the main uh, city of Southern Humboldt, uh, out of 25 stores, 23 are closed. Wow. It's a ghost town. It's not there anymore. It's going to be like Arizona, like Tucson for a while, or Bisbee or something. It's devastating. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we're working with. And, you know, it's still going to, it's going to come back. Tourism is going to come back. The people that are here, you, you can take the names of all the people like Craig Satori, Johnny Casali with, with Whitethorn. You get, you know, uh, Gilman, you know, Ridgeline, all the people that are the true great farmers and brands and winter, they're going to make it, but it's going to be one out of, one out of, you know, 50 that make it. And so, uh, Emerald Triangle is going to be a much different place to live. I'll tell you, though, the one thing is, is that we were never made for this kind of production. Uh, and so the land, the trees, the animals, the creeks are coming back in a way. I mean, you take 90% of that, that farming away and all that water they're sucking up for growing cannabis. And what happens environmentally, this place is amazing. Wow. So it's a double-edged sword. I picture yeah. you as, I don't know if you've seen the Spider-Man movies, but you're like Spider-Man and the Emerald Cup. And you're shooting webs on each side, trying to slow down this train as it's about to go off a bridge. And you're <laughs> stretching on both sides, just holding on to those webs to try and keep things aloft. So where are those bright sides? Where are those silver linings? Kind of like the land, you know, taking taking itself back and taking care of itself. Like where, what can we look forward to in, in the future at least? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking to small farmers and, and brands, what they're realizing is like Angela Pia from Harborside State House, she's the director of marketing. Harborside has started a program for sun-grown farmers and putting them on their shelves, like 12 different farmers. And they're really advocating for that because they're realizing if everybody's got the same monocrop generic thing on their shelves, it's not gonna work. You need to have some unique cultivars and strains, just like you go into small liquor stores or whatnot. What A lot of them are making it because they've got those rare bottles of wine or beers or, or spirits and stuff. So. The, the dispensaries and the brand are realizing they need unique uh, cultivars and cultures and and uh, and farmers and stories. So that's going to be good in the long run. And this year, it's really dried up. The prices have skyrocketed. And because 90% of the people are gone, you're not going to have the volume coming from the hills anymore. So they're going to do pretty good. I tell people, if you hung on and you can hang on for the next year or two, you're going to do okay, especially if you can, once we get interstate and you can put that Emerald Triangle brand on it, or even the California brand. It's going to do a lot better than, say, Oregon or Washington. Or people going back east going to want a California brand or Oregon or Washington, of course. Um, the other brands are the same way. I heard 75% of the brands did not renew their licenses. So when you take out 75%, there's a lot less competition. Uh, so those people that are hanging on for cartridge companies or, you know, tinctures are going to see the same thing. But the big thing for us in California is to open up interstate and get across the country because California rocks. Everybody knows we're the best. And... <laughs> Everybody will have their local cannabis, and they should, but they're all going to want some California bud. They always have, and they always will. Man, even growing up in St. Louis, when I heard that something was like Cali Kush, I would freak out. Yeah. And there's like nothing better. It was just, there were no seeds in it. I was blown away, you know? How involved are yeah. you in, in the policy side, Tim? Like, I know Janine Coleman uh, is, is deeply involved in policy and has been working with... Um, some of the senators on the SHIP Act, which I believe would uh, help open up California cannabis uh, purveyors to ship to across state lines if federal legalization happens. Is that right? I think that's, you know, one yes. piece of legislation that they're hoping to pass. So what what does your day to day look like as far as that sort of policy work goes? Are, are you deeply involved or do you just kind of try and stay out of it? Because I know it can be a total headache. 
Well, I got involved in 2006 with uh, supporting the sheriff debates here in Mendocino, which led to the district attorney debates, which led to getting our, our sheriff in there. We developed the 9.31 program where you could do 99 plants legally with the permit from the sheriff's department, the first in the country in the world. I was very proud of that. Uh, we had one of the first dispensaries up here. I pushed the policy right into uh, helping 64 come through and get passed. But when I watched Gavin do that to everybody, and then I stood back and watched our own county uh, just just totally screw up, you know, the 800 farmers here. It was so, I got so disillusioned by it all that I just turned my focus to boots on the ground stuff that made a difference. Like this small program, uh, small farmer, small farms program we did last year. Um, Angela Peter from Harborside wanted to get involved. They wanted to come back and make amends uh, for what, you know, Steve D'Angelo did to support that large scale farming. Mm -hmm. And I had to go back to Janine and all the, you know, Origins Council, all the people up in the triangle and get their sign off on that. And that became like a, a month long negotiation, which came around to Harborside agreeing to support what you're talking about, the SHIP Act, uh, the state uh, you know, open markets for small farmers and across the country. So Harborside is now officially on board supporting that and they became the sponsor for the small farms program. So for me, rather than mess around with Gavin Newsom or my supervisors that messed us all up, I just went straight to the business aspect. Let's get Harborside over here. Let's make peace with these guys. Let's get them to support this. Let's go out and do this. And then I support Janine and Michael and all the people that are doing the work. Holy, I mean, they come to the cup. We bring them in. I'll have them here this weekend for the Emerald Cup Awards. Anything I can do for them. And also for Stephanie uh, Landa and Freedom Grow and Amy Poba, you know, because it's, uh, you know, all about getting the the, uh, the people home from prison. Absolutely. For me. You know, I can't, rest, I can't rest until we get all the, you know, the men and women out of prison. They're still rotting away there. You, uh, the cannabis, uh, events now exist in two parts of the year, right? You have the harvest ball that's now happening at the end of the year and the award show that's happening in the spring. Why did you make that decision to split the Emerald cup into the harvest ball and the award show? And what does it look like going forward? Cause I know there are some plans in the works for more events to come, right? That's a great question, too. Uh, we used to have one combined event in December, uh, and we did the judging through November, and then we came in with the show. Uh, we were doing the judging right up to, like, the day before the show, and it was really, like, hectic, but we pulled it off. Once legalization came in, we couldn't have those entries come direct to us. They had to go through distributors and then go through, you know, back to us and everything, and it became a very challenging process to ever do that. We couldn't get it done, so we had to back the show up anyway. Uh, we've been advocated to back it up so people had more time to cure their their flowers and especially some of the sativa or the longer, you know, longer season flowers and whatnot. So we'd already been kind of, you know, pushed to do that and it just made sense. And so we did that, backed it up and it's worked out really well uh, because it gives our judges a lot more time. It gives people more time to enter. Uh, and so we wanted to, we were one public hearing from going down to Long Beach and getting permission to go to the Queen Mary and do a combined show uh, in 20, I think 27, 2018, like time goes now. And then COVID hit, maybe it was 2018, and then COVID hit. If COVID hadn't hit, we would have had one big show in LA at the Queen Mary for 50,000 people or 30 or whatever it is. And uh, But we got stopped with COVID. So we kind of got stuck from going to LA. Now, I wanted to move the main show to LA because that's the biggest cannabis market in the world, and it's the biggest media market in the world. And what do, what do our farmers need? What do our brands need? They need to be on that platform. And so that's what made sense to me. I wasn't trying to abandon the triangle. I was trying to do what's best for for our contestants and our, our brands. Um, but that just hasn't worked. We got down to LA last year and we went to the Multibon and we had Woody Harrelson come in. But this year it was, just wasn't right. It didn't feel right. They're still shut down. And so it feels really good to come back to the Craneway Pavilion in Richmond 
to do the show this year. Uh, but what happened was people still wanted to get together for the celebration of the fall harvest. They want to see the latest flowers. They want to see the latest genetics. And when they come into the uh, Emerald Cup in December, all of a sudden they're seeing that, what, what, what people have for beans and what people are doing for flowers and what the latest stuff is. And so we decided to go ahead and do a harvest ball just to acknowledge that and get people a place to come together and you know have a smaller, cool show for, for our community in December. Can you talk a little bit more about the types of people who come to the Emerald Cup? Because I've even seen it change a bit from um, a lot of farmers, a lot of people on the inside to people who are excited about weed and just like want to know more and want to be tapped into what the coolest stuff is that's coming out, even if they don't necessarily speak a certain type of language or, you know, and, and so I think, I think how it's grown would be cool to share. You know what? It really, it was a few hundred people in the beginning, hardcore, you know, at area 101, right on the highway for the locals. Uh, we went with that for about seven years until we outgrew it and had to go to Humboldt. We did one show there that was the biggest show at uh, Mateel, but it was too small too. We were growing too quick. We couldn't get anybody to sign up and let us do a show in the Emerald Triangle. So we had to take a flyer on the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. We did a 20 page proposal and they said, if you will do a cannabis country fair like this, we'll stand here with you. And they did. So what were we going to do? We went down. Half the people wouldn't come down the first year. They thought we were abandoning the triangle. Then they realized how much business all the brands did. And then they all wanted to get in the next year. Because up until then, it wasn't a business event. I mean, we, were, we weren't selling things. We were just partying. Once we went to Santa Rosa, business started taking place and it changed the whole thing. And it really, really blew up the show. Um, and, and we went from you know a couple thousand people the first year uh, we were down in Santa Rosa. I think we were about 7,000. We went to 14 the next year. We went to, we doubled again the next year. We peaked at about 40,000. And it just blew up with all these traditional mainstream people wanting to come see this and touch this. And, and it was great because they'd come see these farmers and get stories and the farmers had got direct access. And so it's really a wonderful thing. I mean, there's a place for Hall of Flowers and a B2B, but there's also a real place for consumer show where the brands and the farmers can be direct with people. Because, you know, where do, where do most small farmers do really well? They do it at the farmer's markets, the local farmer's markets every week that everybody goes to, you know, and they talk to people and it's like, it's right there and it's personal and they do their business. Well, that's what we need a lot of, not just for the Emerald Cup. We need to have farmer's markets and just, we need to have cannabis at regular farmer's markets across the state. And we need all kinds of events that are bringing cannabis people directly to consumers and having that storytelling and that interaction and connection. So that's what the Emerald Cup's educational part is about. I'm proud of it. And uh, we're going to continue to do that because it's critical to our community. I'd actually like to um, add a little bit to that. If you can talk about the types of people who judge, just because I, you really take mm -hmm. it serious and have a good breadth of types of judges so that anybody who might go into a dispensary and see first place Emerald Cup, no, like they will know um, that, that there's quite a few types of people who might've vouched for that flower. It's incredible. You know, when we started out, it was just, uh, some homeboys that could puff hard, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's what it was really. Okay. Can you, can you smoke a lot of OG? Yeah, you're in. And, you know, as it evolved all of a sudden with all these contests, we wanted to make sure it was balanced and, you know, make sure that there were enough women involved and enough diversity, North and South, different palettes. Uh, it's become quite a thing just to pick the judges because you want to make sure you don't have too many people that like OG or you're going to not vote for the desserts. And if you have all dessert people, you're not going to go there. So then you got to even balance the preferences that people have. And uh, it's it's quite a challenge to really pick that out. And then you look at the quality of the judges. We have people call up and say, why don't I get to be a judge? And I'm like, if you could see the caliber of people applying, I mean, uh, that drop it, that 
the first 50 are just amazing for each category. It just blows my mind. I, uh, OCB is our big sponsor now, and they came in there at our finals judging, and they were looking at the team, and they're kind of getting an idea of who people that were there. And I was pointing out people, you know, Gee, you know, CEO Puppin Barclays, you know, Nicole Powell, she's already bought 16,000 pounds this year for West Coast Cure, Alec Dixon, founder of SC Labs. I mean, just, you know, Mario Guzman, you know, creator Gelato Shavinsky, you know, just like, okay, these are the people that are judging. <laughs> and they're like, they're, they're not quite sure of how powerful they are, but I mean, I'm explaining to them and then they're going talking to them. They're coming back and going, oh, these are really like true OGs, aren't they? And like, you want to get on this team? You got to really bring it. And uh, it's an amazing team with the, with every team though, not just the flowers, every one of them. I, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm 68. I don't, track uh i don't live and breathe cannabis like i did at one time i mean i mean these guys on the genetic side can go back and tell you you know i'm the old school og headband sour d everything else these guys are going to tell you the parents back three lineages or how it came i mean i'm just looking at them and it's like it's just incredible to look at these genetic these, these breeders that are just passionate and masterful and it's that way across the board with people doing tinctures cartridges and all of it and so I, I run along with the judges and I get on the Zoom meetings and just hear, listen in. And it's humbling just to listen to these people talk and go around it. The Flowers judges get in person, so we do that in person. But, you know, all across the board, it's a really amazing experience. We've got a couple what of friends. I really love. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Love seeing how many great female judges we have now. Yeah. I mean, we always, they, they were always there. But, you know, back in the day, women weren't much of the industry because it was an outlaw, illegal industry. People were going to prison. So it was basically a male-dominant, people crazy enough to do a thing, you know. But as we've gone on, uh, these female flower judges, uh, Michelle and, uh, you, know, you know, Matt Reeves, you know, Jessica, you know, and Chang, she's great. And then Nicole Powell, gosh, just amazing. And then Nikki. I'm sorry, let me interrupt you. Yeah, they've got great palettes. And we know we have a, a few friends actually who are judging and we've seen the spreadsheets and we know it's no joke. Like it's <laughs> there's a lot to keep straight and a lot to make notes on. And, you know, a, a daily routine of, of sampling and tasting and then going back to the ones that you love and really high grading and making sure that, you know, you're doing your due diligence on every single strain or tincture or edible that that you've been given to judge. It's such a big job. And it's so cool to watch, you know, the few people that we're encountering doing doing, I think, a great job. So it's pretty neat. You know what's you know what's amazing? I try to keep up with the flowers judges, and it's tough for me now. Uh, doing you know twelve joints a day for thirty days straight, you know, and and being aware, you're not just getting high. You're you've got to sit there and think, what is happening here? What's going on with me? What is? I mean, you got to be really conscious. So it's not just like okay, I'm gonna get stoned and just kind of zone out in space for a while. You you really have to be there and to be there on like all day long for thirty days, and then get together with judges for two days and go at it. I mean. We have a lot of judges that can't keep up, and, uh, and then we have a lot of judges that never want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned Woody Harrelson, and I know that uh, Woody and his business partners kind of opened the woods in conjunction with the Emerald Cup being here in Los Angeles last year, and that was pretty pretty neat to see that happen. At that part of what they're about is that that whole wall of uh, sun grown and biodynamic cannabis from the Emerald Triangle. So you know, just, just thinking about that and, and sort of how they're supporting your initiatives, like when you come to Los Angeles or, or, or when, you, when you just go out in the world and you're smoking, is that what you're looking for? Are you sort of going to places that, that have those offerings and, and you're looking for uh, oh, no. cannabis from the Emerald Triangle to smoke? Or are, you, or are you looking for new things that are outside your purview? Well, I like to support, you know, people like the Woods and Woody and stuff. That's an amazing thing that they did there. You know, it's nice to get around and see different uh, places, but 
Uh, Mercy Wellness, uh, for the first time, sold more sun-grown than out than indoor last a uh, couple months ago. Wow. And that was the first time in years. And it's uh, very rare for any dispensary to do that. And so we try to support that. Woody's gone out of his way. I mean, I grew I grew a lot of indoor. I mean, people forget, the Emerald Triangle through the 90s wasn't growing a lot of sun-grown because people would come bust you with the army and stuff. They were hiding under, you know, sheds in the trees with lights. And uh, so I'm the you know, first one to say that indoor has its place and it's a really wonderful flower and it's great. Uh, but I do try to help evangelize and really help the sun-grown farmers uh, because they started off, the way it came in with indoor being created, sun-grown didn't have a natural segue into the marketplace to begin with. So it's kind of, it's needed a little bit of a push. And Woody has been as great as an ambassador as anybody could ever ask for. Shout out to those guys and Samba, the whole team there. I have one final question for you. Um, do you collect data and um, a lot of information from all of these Emerald Cups that can actually help federal legalization, interstate commerce, and all of these things pass because of the growing interest and the growing revenue? Like, is there is there any way that the Emerald Cup helps move things in the right direction federally, or is it just the proof is in how California is trying to repair itself and you're a big part of that repair? No, uh, Champs uh, Trade Show uh, wants to uh, do a partnership with us to go across the country and do some uh, B2Bs with them. And we absolutely intend on going across the country, helping push federal legalization. We support Janine all the way. Um, I think the Emerald Cup does quite a bit uh, in a PR and marketing way to further that. But what you said uh, in a different vein, uh, the 19 years of the Emerald Cup, we have data from all those years. And uh, I had a gentleman come to me and want to put together a cannabis wine spectator, mm -hmm. uh, which has kind of morphed into like an almanac for us, because there's a lot of information that uh, needs to go out to people that can really save them a lot of time. There's just such a vast amount of information. The first year we started testing for concentrates, we had a 75% failure rate because people were using a lot more chemicals than they want to admit. And, you know, everybody knows you can do a flower and maybe get by using some chemicals, but when you concentrate it into a concentrate, it also concentrates the toxins too. So we busted 75% of the people. Now we let them go that year because they all said it was the clone guy and it was the this and it was the uh, somebody. But we said, okay, the next year we dropped that down to 5%. And so through testing in one year, we got to show, okay, let's not, you know, really shout people down. Let's just get rid of the bad practices. And the same thing with cartridges like this year, we're watching distillate and uh, CO2 drop off because people are getting so many live resin and live rods and carts now. It's so cheap that people don't want to get that cheap cart anymore. And you're watching the same thing with, with solvent concentrates. They're going away because people can get so much solventless. And so it's interesting to watch the dynamic of the market move and rotate, you know, the pre-rolls, how much they've jumped. So we're going to put that into an almanac for the 20th anniversary and really put that data out uh, to really show people where we, where we started, uh, where we came from, and where we went to. And there's a tremendous amount of data over all those years with all those judges and all that information. So that's going to be exciting. That's exciting, too, because I think one of the talking points that a lot of politicians use for something like cannabis is we need more research. We need more data. We're we just unsure. We don't know yeah. yet about that. And then you have this breadth of 19 years and you're like, Here, here's exactly what you're asking for. Make a move. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the other thing that really helped us with Long Beach was we spent about 30 grand doing an economic impact report and uh, we got 17 million dollars for the community in that weekend. The Grand Prix over two weekends in Long Beach brought 21 million in. So when they looked at that, they were like, you guys could make us some money. 
And I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, politicians really value money for their constituents and the, their communities, and they want to bring money in. And so that's going to be a driving factor. And uh, that's what we really need to get people to see. Uh, and, and they're getting there. It, it'll happen in the next two years. It just, you know, events were a little bit overlooked. And, uh, you know, we had to go to 10, uh, DCC is what it's called back then, and now it's DCC. We had to go to 10 meetings to even get on the agenda because they'd never even thought about events with legalization. You know, and what it meant and how critical it was, you know, so we had to do a lot of education. And actually, when you go back to it, the education we've done uh, teaching them um, over the last uh, 10 years, it's really already helped the New York State Fair, the New Mexico State Fair. It's helping all of them. Now, Brian's doing our California State Fair, and it's really showing them how to really do that, because we spent a half a million dollars the first year The DCC wanted us the first year legalization they wanted us to take all the product off the tables and throw away and everything out of the sh the brands had to take everything off site each night that's what they wanted us to do we had to explain to them the insanity of all that and legal and, and security issues so we had to build vaults behind our our um our booths because we had to have armed guards back there and it cost us a half million dollars just to show them how to do it legally so we have spent a lot of money last year okay really quickly uh, two years ago they showed up in force and they were hassling uh, small farmers that were the people behind the booth were giving their friends joints from personal and they were saying that wasn't right and they were showing buds on the table and and people at, at puffco all of a sudden were giving a dab out and they were like coming after people and like you know hassling them and, and taking them out of the kicking them out of the show and shutting their booths down and crazy stuff i mean it became really a huge thing i sat down and said look you guys are either going to work with us or else you're not going to have jobs and i'm not going to have a job because nobody's going to come to these events so either we get this straight and teach the rest of the state and the rest of the country how to do this, or let's just shut it down. They got together with us last year at the Harvest Ball. We gave the, the DCC, which is the Department of Cannabis Control, we gave them a free booth. We had a speaker panel with them for all the community to come in there so they could go at it together. And, and they were like, at the end of the weekend, they came back to us and said, you know what? This is amazing. The, the connection and the healing that we had with your community and we've now learned who you are and have so much more respect for all of you uh, that it was like incredible. And that's now going out and they're teaching people around the, the country how to do the same thing. So it's all education at the end of the day. That's amazing. The Emerald Cup, the the community vibe and the sort of, the, you know, just the walking around, seeing all of the flower, meeting all of the cultivators and then like heading outside to smoke a joint while an amazing band plays and heading over to the seminar stage and seeing some educational talks. It's you know, I, I just highly encourage anyone to go if you can run, don't walk. And uh, and congratulations on the award show happening this Saturday night. Do you have uh, big plans for the night? Do you, do you have a, a whole lineup scheduled? We do. We're going to uh, it's a private party because uh, we, 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 we have sampling going on with everything. So we didn't want to sell tickets. And we already have too many people just between the contestants. There's going to be a, you know, 11, 1200 contestants, a few hundred judges, sponsors, guests and crew. We'll have about 3000 people. Uh, we're going to have a uh, overlooking the bay. Craneway Pavilion is a giant, huge building with all glass, three stories overlooking San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bay Bridge and the Bay Bridge. We're right like 30 feet from the bay. We're going to be looking at all that. We're going to have a party right there. We're going to finish the awards ceremony 10 minutes before sunset. And then everybody's going to be able to go outside and watch the sunset over the bay uh, as we as we puff. And then we're going to party all night till the dawn, uh, till the sun rises. And then Swami's going to make his pancakes. Uh, so we're going to have, uh, we have radio coming into a set and we've got Selassie, uh, one of our former winners, Dan's going to do a set. We got some really just fun, 
you know, DJs and acts coming into play. Uh, and uh, so we're going to just party and, uh, and then we're going to get up and have pancakes and watch the sun come up. So we're going to do sunrise to sun, sunsets to sunrise. Wow. You're, you're all going to be levitating. I, I can only imagine how beautiful that's going to be. <laughs> Would you like to? Um... A lot of psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you said it. I was going to guess it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Uh, please plug everything um, where people can follow the Emerald Cup, how they can uh, be involved in future cups. If you could just share all that information. Yeah, you can find us at theemeraldcup.com uh, for our website. Uh, we're on Instagram, the same thing, the Emerald Cup. Uh, follow us. Uh, we'll be you know, active telling you what's going on, doing shows. We're going to be doing a lot of pop-ups around. So we'll be doing that also. And there's some things we haven't su surprised for people. I'm usually the big mouth and I got to hold off till we can announce it, but there's some, we're going to be back to LA and we're going to be doing a show with you guys. And, uh, we'll be, we'll be putting that together very soon. We're, we're doing it now. We'll be announcing it very soon. So stand by. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you guys uh, soon. Awesome. Please come back on, uh, to tell our listeners about that whenever you can, we'll look forward to having you back and thank you so much. Uh, it's just fantastic to have you on weed and grub for the first time, not the last. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks Tim. Bye. Bye everyone. <laughs>